everybody. Welcome to the Mountain Bike Podcast, episode 30 of the Breathe Mountain Bike here. Podcast. We're getting old. Yeah, we're Our getting insurance old. went down five episodes ago. <laughs> and, uh, and podcast years are very old. Yes, we already. are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is where we talk about mountain bikes as well as, I guess, aging into senior citizen range. Yeah. Uh, but we talk about mountain bikes. A lot. Yes. We're going to do a lot of that today because a lot of things have gone on. Lots of things. If you want to find out more about this podcast, you can look for us, MTB Podcast, or go to mtbpodcast.com. And then we're all over the socials. So yes. just search. You'll search find us. us. You'll It'll find be it. easy. Uh, Steven, let's just get straight into things. There's a lot. We got a lot to cover. Today. We do. Get into the news. News time. News team, assemble! Okay. Uh, first things first, Steven Fox released a new four-way adjustable fork damper. So much excite here. So I read through this. From what I under so okay, it's on a Fox 36, yeah. first of all, at least pictured in this scenario. Yeah. From what I can tell, my favorite part about it is that it has high speed and low speed compression on the top. Just like your RC2 damper. And high speed and low speed rebound damping at the bottom. That is the point. That is what I'm excited about. So oh, how is this different than what's existed before? Well, existing, you just have uh, current, currently existing, you have one rebound circuit that's adjustable. Okay. That is it. It is just your, essentially it ends up being the low speed uh, rebound is what you would have a, an adjustability with. That's basically it. That's basically it. So obviously you have your top side controls on the RC2 damper that are high and low speed, but now adding high speed for small bump compliance within the rebound circuit is great. We've got a dirt bike. It's back to dirt bike days for me again. Yes. Because this is what we had. Well, mm -hmm. we had springs so we could change spring rates. Yes. And you can also, of course, change shim stacks, all that stuff. Yes. Change the weight of the fluid. All of that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of quick adjustments that you could do, we had high and low speed mm -hmm. compression and rebound. Yeah. Which is awesome. This it's finally, mm -hmm. can I say finally again? Go ahead. Finally. There we are. It's pretty cool to see. Now it did mention something and I was trying to understand this. So it sounds like this damper, which we're talking about oil in mm -hmm. there. It sounds like this damper has like a bunch of channels. The the normal fit four, I should say, has channels that control the return of the oil. Is yes. that right? It's basically orifices uh, with passageways. Okay. And what you're adjusting in your high speed and low speed compression, uh, well, I guess, okay, let's go back to the fit four side of it. The way you adjust your damping is by putting a needle into further in and out of this orifice that will your seat height good now yeah yeah okay, sorry I perfect did, no I you're did, good my, my bike fit was bad you just, here yeah. you just like dropped it like yeah. it was hot or something <laughs> okay sorry continue <laughs> so what you're essentially doing is you're you're closing off the available area that the fluid can go through makes sense the passageway now this one they said it was something it says that um uh, it has the, so this is called like the fit grip system, yeah. which I think that they're just assuming that's going to be called that or did the fit grip. Well, the grip, the remember. grip system is already what's in the base level, the, the performance series, Okay. the performance elite and factory series all have the fit four and mm. the RC two dampers. The grip damper uses springs and shim stacks yes. to override a specific circuit. Gotcha. Okay. 
So this may be somebody testing something that's lower end, but the fact that it has low and re- low and high speed rebound makes you think that it's it would be a premium option. Yeah, and that's the the article that as they discussed it on Pink Bike was um, a little bit misleading because they're talking about the two different current setups, mm. and then they discussed this one. I think this one's going to be more of um, I think this is going to pull over more from the X2 side of things, mm-hmm. where they're actually going to use more of like a grip style damper with it. But yeah. that could just be me thinking, you know, on my engineering side, that's how they're going to do it. And that's the easiest way to do it. You are an engineer. Yeah. It's, you know, you think of these things. True. So, uh, I just, I just marvel at that stuff. Specialized the next bit, they updated the Enduro 29. This is why to me, oh, I mean, obviously if you buy an Enduro 29 or if you have one, this is significant, but it was significant to me, perhaps going on to the marketing side of things, the more business side of things, because they just updated this bike last year. Yeah. It is so rare for a brand to update a bike multiple, like like back-to-back years. But if you look at it, you know, look at the reviews that people have been giving on the Enduro 29er, they haven't been as stellar as they wanted them to be. Yep. You've got your certain people that are like, oh, it climbs great and it does descending well. And then there's people like, oh, it climbs like garbage. This thing sucks. I don't like it. Yeah, that's what I've heard, which is interesting because I, I I've... <clears throat> Heard from people that I very much trust that the, the 2017 was awesome. It was yeah. a really, really good change to that yeah. bike. Uh, and it ended up being a great bike. Yeah. Now, I know that Jared Graves, since this has been released, he's now riding a 20, he's now riding an Enduro instead of his, his Stumpy. Yeah. So I assume that his input probably had something to do with this, which is pretty cool to see. But really, what they've changed is they have a flip, well, I guess a different yoke, or I should say shock extension in this case, if we want to call it that. Yeah. But basically, like, it hooks up to the base, and in this case, it looks like they're specking them with Olin shocks, but uh, it hooks up to the shock, and then it's an extension from more or less, I guess you'd say, like, the top of the shock, because it's flipped yeah. compared to most. And so it's like a yoke, though. Mm-hmm. The yoke is different, uh, and it also has a little flip chip system that allows you to change the angle at which that shock mounts, which thusly changes the angle at which the rear triangle is interfacing with the whole thing, which thusly changes where the front triangle sits yeah. in relation to the ground. So you're going to have a little bit lower bottom bracket and slacker head tube, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So it sounds like, uh, and, and it sounds like to me at least, uh, they've also done some changes to the frame. They've changed up a little bit of the geometry stuff. They, in fact, they said that they made the head tubes taller, all of them. Yeah. Which is interesting because mm-hmm. that's kind of backwards from what we see the trends being in a yeah. lot of ways. But they also, you know, extended the reach out further. Yep. Yeah. So I think that what they're doing is effectively they're making the bike a little, probably a little more stable is what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, with those type of changes to it, but, um, pretty clever stuff. Some other things they have SWAT CC now, which I, I, I don't know about you, Steven, but I'm a huge fan of specialized SWAT stuff. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that do not ride specialized, but have the SWAT stuff, whether it's the bibs, whether it's the bottle cages that hold the tools or, yeah. or any of the number of things. I wish every frame had like three bottle cage bosses on the, on the down tube. Yeah, it, that uh, that SWAT kit that they sell with like that little box, mm-hmm. it's so handy. You of can course. fit so much in there. And of course, if you have an enduro or something else, you've got the you've got the stash door into the frame, so of you course. don't need that. But yep. this new one is called the SWAT CC. It's a top cap tool, much like the One Up EDC tool. Yeah, um, which is a pretty sweet thing. Of course, but it's nowhere near as fully featured as the EDC. In this case, basically, all it is is it's it's got a little cap that sits on top that you spin away. And as that happens, a spring-loaded little carrier pushes a multi-tool up. So then you can have your multi-tool at access. 
It's like a five or a six piece multi-tool. So that's kind of cool. Yep. It's just like the other swap multi-tools that are really easy to, to, they're like really basic, but they get the job done. Yeah. And then if you pull that out further, it has a whole chain breaker system, but much better than their previous top cap one. Yeah. The one thing about this is it certainly is not just because it carries the, the multi-tool, but it also, it looks heavier just because there's a whole lot more material involved. Yeah. Um, but pretty sleek, very James Bondish to have a little thing that pushes, you know, you, that stores your tools. But this was the interesting, the most interesting thing to me about this bike. They changed the command post, which is known due to Art Cyclery, thanks Art Cyclery, as the one that can launch an apple further than any other dropper post in the air. Yep. <laughs> so prestigious title there. It's yeah, quite definitely. a reward to have, yeah. Very coveted <laughs> yes. trophy. Uh, they changed the command post. At first when I saw it, I thought that they mixed in their cobble gobbler thing. And yes, that is what they named that road seat post that has the weird The little beak. suspension beak thing. Yep. At first I thought they incorporated that, which I thought was a little strange, but no, did you read about this thing, Stephen? A little bit. And I understand what it's really doing is it's basically setting the tail down like you would in a downhill situation because, yep. you know, enduro bikes are getting so big anyway now that yeah. it's the, the posture that you're sitting at when your seat is down, you are pretty much needing it tilted back. You need the, the nose high. What we're seeing with more and more riders because of modern geometry on bikes is saddles that are slammed forward and saddles that are tipped flat, if not slightly down, which I don't think you should ever have a saddle that's tipped down. If no. that's the case, you've got a fit problem that lies deeper within. You shouldn't be solving it with that. And I know Yaroslav Kolavi, his saddle is like pointing downward at his bottom bracket and he's very fast. He's probably exceptional. I don't know. Or maybe he'd do better with a different saddle position. Who knows? Yeah. Anyways, with this, I see a lot of people when their saddles are dropped and especially if they have something like a WTB Silverado or something like that, that kind of has like a, a, a curb for a back of the saddle. Yeah. It's, it's like a nasty little step that's just waiting to catch shorts in really gnarly terrain, of course. even though your saddle's dropped. Yep. So this is actually a pretty clever idea. Yeah. I do. I wonder how light it is, but, um, you know, I guess that doesn't really matter. Uh, regardless. Pretty interesting to see. Exactly. Yeah, and I say it doesn't matter because on these bikes, you're probably not going to be counting, you know, grams quite as much as I would be on an XC bike, but. Totally. Um, Envy, uh, the next one, they came out with some new carbon rims and it looks like an insert. We don't know much about it because it's just an external picture. Yeah. But the one thing that I see first off, Stephen, when I look at this is the nipples are still internal. Yeah, still internal nipples. Um, which is. I get it, but it's frustrating at the same time. It's frustrating if you ever have an issue with an Envy, but it's... But the I, good news is you rarely have issues. Exactly. With yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever... Mm -hmm. I've had to tension wheels once and yeah. that was it. Yeah. They're just solid wheels. Yeah. But it also doesn't have a round profile. No. It's more triangular, mm. which is kind of lending itself more to the Mavic side of things. You so think that's that this is perhaps influence from Mavic well, since they are owned by the, or they do collaborate very closely now. Yeah. Well, if you look at a lot of the Mavic, you know, a lot of the Mavic mountain wheels are, are more triangular in shape now. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, maybe they're figuring out a way, you know, the, the, the shortest way from point A to point B being the bead seat to the nipple bed, you know, is a straight line and you're actually going to shave weight by doing that. Yeah, you know, they also speculated in the Pink Bike article that it might be to give their wheels more compliance instead of feeling so stiff. Exactly. Or more clearance even. Yeah. But this doesn't necessarily mean that this arc is going to be less rigid or stiff. So much of that has to do with the actual construction and layup of the rim. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that's one guess that they have. But the, the bigger thing, I guess, with this is it looks like they have 
almost like a rubber system that goes on the outside of the rim, like it folds over the lip. Like basically, if you've ever seen a ghetto tubeless setup where you cut a you cut a tube and then you like trim off the excess tube once you put the tire in. Yeah. Uh, you have a tube like filleted out. If you haven't seen it, Google uh, ghetto tubeless, you'll see it. But it almost looks like something like that. But of course, it's much cleaner. It looks like it basically has like a rubber bumper around yeah. the top of the rim. Which is kind of cool. It's yeah. like a little impact strip almost. You know what I would really hope this thing does? I would hope that it goes inside. Maybe it has something similar to like a cush core that it kind of like plumps up in the center there to hold your tire in place and give you some more bottom out uh, would be nice. uh, protection. But at the very least, I hope that it goes across the... So it works as your tubeless tape. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. I have, you know this, I've had so many problems with tubeless tape on my M50s. More, more than any other rim that I've had. Which is crazy. It's frustrating. And I think that it's because of the channels that it has with those internal nipples and everything else. I think yeah. it's pretty deep. So it's just easier for a tire to push it off when it's getting seated or anything else like that. Yeah. So even with Gorilla Tape, right? Even with Gorilla Tape. Yeah. Pretty frustrating. So uh, I would hope that that does that. But anyways, good to see Envy pushing, pushing things. I'd love to see Envy come out with stuff more quickly. And I think that it looks like that's what they're doing. Um, the next thing this goes, is going to go hand in hand with uh, really two news items, but, uh, intense released a bike that in the picture, the pink bike posted looks like the most slack bike I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. Super slacked. It looks like a dwarf could ride it because the top tube is so low <laughs> standover height is there. It kind of looks, so they released a new downhill bike. Well, they haven't released it. It was just a prototype that was spotted. Yeah. Uh, although this thing looks pretty darn close to production to me like the frame looks really really refined yeah absolutely um really refined in fact it's beautiful like it's a beautiful the, bike the the linkage the lower linkage looks you know it un, or looks less refined just looks like a cnc billet machined piece yeah but man looking at that that frame it looks really well done yeah that upper linkage the mm, frame i mean pretty. that box looks like it's you know from seat tube i guess you want to call it a seat tube buttress down to the so. bottom bracket and then the down tube that is one stiff riding bike i guarantee there is no deflection in that rear wheel setup yeah pretty interesting to see yeah. the the seat stays should we even call them seat stays anymore with the angles they're at these days but they're very close to the chain stays it's closer to like what i would call like a dirt bike swing arm we're getting into that territory yeah. it's almost like a midstay. yeah exactly there Think we are. demo mid-stay. seven yeah old demo eights and here's the interesting thing talking about demos the front triangle from the side looks pretty similar to the demo in the sense that the top tube and the down tube are pretty horizontal. Yeah, they're very close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or I should say parallel, I should say. Yeah. Uh, interesting looking frame. I, I see what you did there in tents with making the bars like be mounted in a bad position and leaving the long steerer tube to make us think that it's like really not refined, but that frame looks super refined. Absolutely. We can see right through that. Yep. So carbon rear triangle, carbon front triangle, pretty cool stuff. Here's why I'm bringing this one up. Because it looks shockingly like this bike that they also saw at um, at Whistler. The Uno? The Uno. Yeah. So doesn't it? Well, it looks very similar. Shock position and kinematics are totally different, obviously. But yeah, it looks very similar. Yeah. Just here, visually. And here's why. The guy that actually makes this one, his name is Cesar Rojo. He is the guy. He also helped in tents. 
Interesting. So I know that they look super similar in terms of the design principles that they've used to come up with the structure of the frame. Yeah. Suspension, once again, could be totally different. Um, it looks similar, of course, in how things are placed, but you never know how things will actually work. Uh, math is an interesting thing that you can't just tell looking from the outside in. But a really beautiful bike, um, pretty looking thing. Anyways, uh, cool to see both of them coming out with uh, some new bikes. It's If you haven't noticed, it's Crankworks week. So there's just a bunch going on up there, um, which we're going to get into that later. But uh, more new Crankworks product stuff. Bell launched three new helmets. And I got to say, I was not a fan of their old helmet that was like the Giro Switchblade. Yeah. The one that had the detachable chin bar. It looked really not great. Yeah, it did not look great. The, honestly, the new Super DH does look pretty decent. Looks pretty good, man. Yeah. I like it. It's got a, not only a massive chin bar, it kind of looks like a Liat brace when he's got it like around his neck in the pictures. <laughs> I think it is a Liat brace. Yeah, it doubles yeah. as a Liat brace. It doubles yeah. as a Liat. Nice. Yeah. Um, but it's basically... It's a chin bar that goes halfway. So actually, let's start with what the helmet is when it doesn't have a chin bar. It basically looks like a normal Enduro helmet. Yeah, it looks like a Bell Super. Yep, it does. Uh, it has a good amount of protection around the top of the ears and the temples, which is really good to see. More yeah. companies putting protection down there. It's Absolutely. really good. It comes down pretty low, uh, down to about the base of the ear line. And then after that, when you what you actually clip into the helmet, the interesting thing is it goes 360 degrees around the helmet instead of just being on a 180 degree attachment at the chin bar. Yeah, it wraps around the full back of the helmet. Yep, full back. So pretty interesting stuff to see. It has a clip-in retention system that is going to cover a lot more of your neck as well. Next one, Ion Rascal Shoes. Have you ever seen these, Steven? I haven't. So the reason that I threw these in was because a uh, friend of the podcast and friend of mine, Wade, uh, he's actually sent in a question. One of the first questions I think we answered yeah. was Wade's. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Wade has these shoes and I think that you had to like call him up to get them. I don't know. It was quite a while ago. I'm not sure how you can get them now, but they're made by a company named Ion and they're called the Rascal. He absolutely loves them. Okay. He's had them for a while and he raves about them. Okay. So they're clipless shoes that you could, they're kind of, they're enduro shoes. Uh, that's the way they look. They don't look like a little ballet slippery shoe. Um, but they have a lot of like uh, rubber in the construction that looks like it wouldn't allow a whole lot of stretch, which I like because you want a shoe that actually, you know, doesn't slide around and let your foot slide around and stretch through there. So, yeah. um, yeah, they're solid looking shoes and a good alternative because basically it seems like most people they consider five ten or um, that's kind of it. And yeah. they, I mean, Mavic with the cross max and now the D max pros, but and then yeah. specialize with their two FOs. Like that's like the only shoes that you usually see a Giro, I guess Giro has, has their, the chamber. But yeah. the thing is like, I feel like too many people just say like five ten or meh and it's good to see some more options. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know the Mavic ones are pretty darn sweet that you have, or at least you're a fan of them. So, yeah. uh, race face. This is awesome. Race face released us uh, some new DH wheels. Uh, 30 mil internal width, I believe on these things. Uh, I, I, they use the new vault hubs that we liked that we saw at Sea Otter. Yeah. That's good. Three degree engagement. Um, funny thing here, this is still a 28 hole wheel set, even in downhill. It's pretty gnarly. So that's saying a lot if they're putting Atlas name on it and calling it a DH wheel. That hub is just so massive. It is. Uh, the rear hub. Um, but it's pretty darn cool. Makes that it for one spoke length. All the way around. That's true. Yep. yep. You don't have to have varying spoke lengths. Yeah. And then they made a handlebar in 820 millimeters. Yeah, because now the 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 race face next R is their 800 mil enduro bar. Well, they got to go wider or bigger or do got something. To. So Got to. The 6C now comes in 820 mils. 
Wow. Yikes. So now I have to cut off 40 mils off my <laughs> bars to put those on my DH or on my uh, enduro bikes. Indeed. Uh, one last product thing in the world of we're actually, uh, I'm not talking about this. I'm, I'm protesting right now. No, I know we need your opinions on this. No, this that's my opinion because it matches your shirt nearly perfectly right now. <laughs> it kind of does. Yeah. Uh, so, and I know that doesn't mean much for those that are listening into a podcast, Yeah, but listen harder. You'll be able to see the shirt. <laughs> There's a bicycle from a brand named structure cycle works. And they have prototypes and kind of like a concept bike. doesn't look like it's finalized yet, but they're basically using a linkage style suspension in the front. Now, way back in the day in the late eighties, they had this in, in moto stuff. Mm-hmm. And I say, wait, I'm sure there's some dude that's like 40 or 50 listening to this. And I made him feel old and I apologize if that's the case, but way back when they tried this on Mugen tried this on their Hondas, which was like the factory, like the sweetest bikes back in the day. Yeah. And apparently it functioned really well, but there were some durability issues and they have problems with a shock heating up. Now, what I'm talking about is a linkage system in the front. There is no fork. There are no traditional stanchions with a lower and an upper and a crown. None of that. There's actually a shock like you would have in the rear tied to a linkage. It's it's a, a swing side, arm. It's a sideways front suspension on a car. It is a upper yeah. lower control arm with a strut. That's what this is. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. That's exactly what it is. So think of that sideways, slap it onto a bike, and that's what you have. Uh, he's got it set up with a Monarch XX, which I think is awesome. That's <laughs> funny to see. Um, and he's got it up front. I think it only had like 120 mils of travel or something like that. That was on the aluminum version. That carbon version they were talking about had 150. 150 even more. But uh, in Pink Bike, they actually rode it. And he said that it was the most supple front end he has ever felt. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah. You're using a shock. You've got completely different volumes. You don't, you can stiffen the front end however you want because everything is rigid where it needs to be. Yeah. And you're using a shock. And he said that the front end felt way more stiff than most in terms of flex. Totally makes sense. There are more flex points, but you're dealing with, I mean, there is no point for like torsional rigidity, right? Or torsional flex. Like it's gone. Absolutely. Uh, Because you're not gliding on bushings. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense. That said, Steven. I wouldn't ride it. Why not? I don't know. Cause I'm a purist. I already, <laughs> I already, I already don't like forks to begin with because the lefty just rides so well when uh-huh. it rides well Yeah. that I just find, you know, Fox and, and rock shock in general suspension forks are just subpar in that, in that world. Yeah. I mean, you have a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but this is, I mean, it's cool. I like it. The engineered inside me is kind of excited about this, but yeah. Uh, it just looks so silly. It looks like if you hit somebody, you would impale them. Yeah. Like what's with the big V thing out the front, the big linkage thing, that thing's weird. That's the one thing that I think that if you could, well, it it is abnormal looking, but if you could change, if you could make a linkage style front suspension, but not have it, you know, have a weird looking linkage V thing pointing forward, like a proboscis, uh, or I don't know, change something around on this thing. So it didn't look as weird. I bet that you would get a better chance at adoption. Yeah. Like that thing, what that's there for is keeping lateral stability left and right so that the whole front end doesn't walk back and forth. It has to be linked somehow. Yeah. Um, it'd be cool if we could have a better system of linking it together, but, uh, anyways, uh, check it out. It's pretty interesting to see. Once again, the brand is called structure cycle works. I think it's cool to see something different. Yeah. So, um, now with all of that product stuff, more or less out of the way, uh, we'll get into some, some 
news about uh, some racing that isn't Crankworks and some other stuff. This was kind of gnarly news. I don't know if you saw this, but Jenny Rizveds, she's an XC racer from Sweden. Yep. She's also the current Olympic champion, Olympic gold medalist. Okay. She's been taking a good amount of time off this year. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know why I heard that like, she was just like, you know, rebounding and getting, you know, uh, realigning priorities for the season. I don't know, but it looks like there was actually a reason behind this. So she rides for, um, the Scott SRAM team, the same one that Nino Schurter rides for. Yeah. They're sponsored by Scott head to toe, mm -hmm. meaning that they have to Kits, wear helmets, everything, gloves, everything. glasses, all of it. And of course bikes. Yeah. Now she's signing with the Swedish or she's, she's Swedish. She's yeah, the so, best mountain biker so Swedish in Swedish cycling mm -hmm. has their sponsorship with Pac. Yes. Now here's the interesting, there's so much confusion about how these type of contracts and deals work in the comments. Don't even venture into that. It's a scary world down yeah. there. Uh, this, so basically Swedish cycling is looking at this as an opportunity to get more money from Pac because they will guarantee that their athletes will wear Pac head to toe. Yep. They have it in their contract mm -hmm. with Pac and Swedish cycling. Pac says, cool, sounds good. But the problem is when you have an athlete like Jenny Rizveds that needs to have Scott head to toe, she can't do that. Because she already has a previously signed contract as an athlete with Scott. So it would be her, not only would it be bad form to do so, mm -hmm. but it'd also be illegal. Like In the European Union, it's illegal yeah. to make her sign a contract of course. to void or an negate one. an existing contract. And that would be the same case in the United States. What yep. you would need is you would need a separate contract that you would sign, that you need to sign that would somehow guarantee you some sort of a grace period where you would not need to be under those terms of the contract. Yeah. I don't know how that will work in Europe if that's even possible, but a lot of people are blaming Pac on this and, but let's think, and I'm probably going to burn some bridges here, but let's think to think back to America for us that are from America. If you're from Canada, I don't know how this works. I don't know any other country. I'm just going to speak within my realm of, of experience, not expertise experience Okay. from what I've read and from what I have experienced as a member of USA cycling, uh, as a coach, as an athlete, as a team manager, everything else under USA cycling. And they suck money from me every year for that. Mm -hmm. And as a racer, of course. They are a organization and this is published by them that has money problems. Uh, USA cycling does not, is not a organization that's just rolling around in cash. Yeah. Cycling international cycling federations are really along those lines across the board. Yeah. Race promoters are the ones that are going to be bringing in any money that is excessive that comes in from a bike race. It won't be going to organizations like this. Yeah. So if these organizations can look at this opportunity, look at it from a marketing standpoint, you're in a more, you're in an organization that is, has money issues always because you're always, you know, just rolling year to year on that funding. Yeah. And if you're in that situation, you're going to look at what assets you have. The assets that you have are the members. You want to tell the stories of your members. Mm -hmm. So if you tell the stories of your members, you want to be able to offer that content out to somebody else. Yes. And of course you're going to approach companies for sponsorship on that. That's how marketing works. Like POC. Yes. And it makes sense. Pac is a Swedish company. Pac was all for it. It has been stated from Pac that they actually were trying to work this out so that she didn't have to wear the helmet because the helmet is where the main problem is coming in. It sounds right. like, yeah. And also the glasses, they were trying to work something out because Pac, you know, recognized the fact that it's, you know, this is not going to work out well, but it sounds like Swedish cycling has no cares or concern about that at all. Yeah. So 
if that's the case and that's what we're dealing with, it just makes me, it's, it's pretty unfortunate because now Jenny Rizvez is going to miss world champs. Turns out that this is one of the reasons why she's missed the majority of the, se- of the season yeah. as well, because of per- some pretty big drama with yeah. Swedish cycle. And, and if you think about it last year, uh, they were dealing with this still, and, you know, Pac was nice enough to say, okay, we'll just grant this as an exception. We're going to let you run your Scott stuff this year mm-hmm. for everything except for national championships. Yep. When you're home in Sweden, obviously we want you running our stuff, but the rest of the season, we don't care. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think Swedish cycling really is the owner of this one. Yeah. I don't think it's Pac at all. And I don't think it's Jenny. Yeah. And I don't think it's Jenny's team. I think the Swedish cycling needs to recognize the fact that they've put their athletes in an impossible position. Yeah. It's it's all on them. Yeah. They're the ones who did that. And aren't you really missing the point of of having, you know, with these athletes, and if you're a cycling federation, you want these athletes to be racing and to be, have pride in their country and representing their country and inspiring other people to do the same and bringing more people into the sport. You're just shooting yourself in the foot to get a quick buck. Yeah. And you're making Pac look bad in the process. Yeah. You're making sponsors look bad in general. And you make her team look bad too, which none of it's deserved. Exactly. Swedish cycling, if anybody's listening to this, let us know if we're wrong. What do you mean if? (laughs) Yes, true. We know they're listening. We're we're big in Sweden, as we know. Yeah. Um, Da. Yeah. Oh, that's Russia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Leadville Trail 100 happened. Uh, I heard last year somebody say, and I I think it was somebody from like... uh, it was from a roadie website. I can't remember which one, but they said that this was like the greatest mountain bike race in the country. And I was just like, no, it's not. Oh dear me. It it's is the not. greatest road gravel ride yeah. that you could not do. It's a gnarly race. Yeah. It's crazy respect to them, but it is certainly not the greatest mountain bike race. I mean, we're talking about like, insane views, by yeah. the way, over 10,000 feet the whole time. Oh, it's so hard. Um, yeah. I haven't done it yet. Doing it next year, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. I got winded driving through Leadville this time. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So, but this is so. Oh man, it's, they've got a picture on Pink Bike of an old dude pipping another guy. Uh, nice job, old dude, on pipping a dude. Uh, anyways, this race is not what I would call the greatest mountain bike race. However, it is one of the most unique. In the sense that it's extremely high elevation. It's also one of the most hotly contested mountain bike races for amateurs and for pros, but especially for amateurs in the nation. Like, you know, people just center their whole year around this and they do it year after year after year. Yep. So it's totally unique. It's an, it's an awesome event. Leadville, the town looks sweet. Um, I'm looking forward to, to doing it, believe it or not. The one thing that it is not is an enjoyable mountain bike experience of single track and raw riding. Yeah. So with that out of the way, kudos, Howard Grotz, uh, you won and came in a few minutes ahead of Todd Wells, which kudos Todd Wells, uh, and Payson McKelvin friend of the podcast as well. Yep. He got third, um, pretty impressive stuff, man. I'm shocked to see that the gnarliest thing, which we'll get into just in, in a bit is this is day one of seven for these guys. Yeah. So we'll go into that in just a bit, but Top 10 women, Larissa Connors. Nice job. She got it. 731. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, Andrea Dvorak, she got second, or Andrea, forgive me. And then Ann Perry got third. Um, So pretty awesome. Shouts to a good friend of mine really quick, Lisa Nelson. She got ninth. That is awesome. She holds the women's single speed record. And actually, I think held the single speed overall record. I don't know if it got beat this year, but wow, so awesome. Um, her and Eldon, just the most fantastic people. Uh, he's also known as the fat cyclist. If anybody's wondering on the internets, you can find him there. But good job, Lisa. You got ninth. Um, 
So kudos to all of you that completed Leadville. You're all legends. That's a pretty gnarly day. Now, I just want you to know that I had four bikes in there that I personally built and maintained really? and prepped for the race and not a single mechanical. Atta boy. Yeah. Did you put sealant in the tires? I, I <laughs> did. I put sealant for the customers. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Breck Epic uh, started as well. That looks to be one of my, that, that race is on my list. I think 2019 I'm planning on doing. This is a more epic uh, race than yeah. Leadville. It's high Colorado. elevation. Yeah. It's you start, I think at 8,000 or 8,500 feet every day and you climb up to over 12,000 in some of the stages, just like brutal days. Yeah. Uh, but the reason that this year is particularly rough. So actually first, the reason that I like Breck Epic is that it all happens. It, you stay in the same place the whole time. Yeah. You don't have to travel. It's just loops that extend from Breck, from Breckenridge which is cool. town, which is awesome. Uh, this race, you can do a three, you can do all six or you can do three and you can say, I want to do the first three or the last three, which is pretty cool. Uh, tip to Breck Epic. I think that you guys would sell a lot too. If you said three and pick whichever three you wanted to do, just saying, yeah, I think that people would dig that, uh, for, especially if you're an aging athlete, that way you can do every other day and you can still feel somewhat fresh, you know, not completely worn down. Anyways, uh, the reason this is so gnarly, uh, Todd Wells, Payson McElvin, and Howard Grotz, after they finished Leadville, drove down to Breckenridge that night and started stage one the next day. Yeah. And which so is Leadville just was a warm up for Breck. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so Todd Wells got the win on stage one. Howard got the win on stage two. Uh, Payson ended up having some, some recurring knee injuries that popped up or a knee injury and some other stuff. So he ended up hopping out, okay. um, of the race. So good call Payson because he got selected for worlds, which is awesome. Yeah. So, uh, good on you for making the smart move. And then Kabush started like kind of slowly behind the guys, but he just won stage four. He's creeping his way up. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome to see Katarina's still shredding it too. on the women's side, uh, next week we'll wrap up the results from that, but of course. Uh, a couple other things really quick. Uh, Andy's Pacifico Enduro, that 2018 race, that's from Chile. That's in Santiago in that area. That Enduro race, the registration just opened. This race, I can speak from personal experience. It is such an incredible country. I've lived there. Um, I served a church mission there for two years, and it was awesome. An incredible place. And in Santiago, the terrain there is otherworldly. I can't even explain to you the scale of the mountains. Uh, if you're into good food and I'm sure good wine, although I haven't had that, if you're into that, Chile has it in spades and just good people all around. This event is totally on my bucket list. I want to do this race. Um, I can't wait to do it at some point. So if you're looking for like a big challenge for, for 2018, this one happens in the early part of the year. I think it's in March or February. Yeah. So, uh, consider signing up. It's that would a be killer fall event. in Chile, right? Yes, it would. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're still at that point. Yeah, you're just getting summer into, into the fall. fall. Yeah. But yeah, so late summer, which is a good time to be there. That's it's so much fun. Geological things. Yes. Yeah, or geographical. Geographical. Yeah, graphical. Yes. Not rocks. Also, geology things happen in Chile. They Lots do. Lots of rocks. Lots yeah. of rocks. <laughs> yeah. But consider that event. It's a killer race. If you're looking for a big one to do, put that one on your calendar. And then uh, kind of a bummer from, from Chile as well, Gustavo Guga Ortiz, he was injured while training in Whistler. I didn't even see what happened. What uh, did you do? No, I didn't either. It was a crash. Um, and the crash actually ended up um, causing trauma to his spinal cord. He damaged his T10 uh, vertebrae and he has no feeling or control below the waist. That's not good. Uh, really rough stuff. Hits home, especially after um, a 
good friend, Paul, you know, and seeing all the struggle that he's dealt with and, yeah. and how hard he has worked to come back to, to where he is now and, and continuing working on that. Um, it's really rough. And I also know firsthand of the expenses from this or not firsthand, I should say secondhand. Yeah. I know secondhand of the expenses. Uh, it's a, it's insane. Uh, for this type of trauma, the amount of money you end up paying is the type of thing that you're almost indebted for life yeah. uh, to be able it's to It's monopoly money at that point because you're just going to be so paying rough. it forever. It's yeah. so rough. Uh, so there is a GoFundMe for his family. If you're listening to this and you can spare a few bucks, please go there. Go on to Pinkbike and look for Gustavo Ortiz and it will, the story will come up. Please, if you can, provide some type of support for his family. I think that it'll be really helpful. Yeah. Um, so- uh, that's where that is. And then on another somewhat, I guess, kind of melancholy note, uh, but also I guess, uh, good on you too. Man on Carpenter retired from downhill racing. Yeah. Just announced. Done. She doesn't want to push it that hard anymore. You know, I get that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, do you think that is, so you used to do more like downhillish stuff and gnarly enduro stuff Yeah. and you don't do as much of it anymore. Is part of it that too? Like you just don't want to push it to that level. Yeah. I'm at the point where, you know, I mean, the knee obviously was kind of a changer for me, but, mm. um, I got to the point where after, you know, hitting CES hard for two seasons and really pushing myself as hard as I can possibly go, it's just not worth it. Yeah. It really isn't for me. For it's yeah, not exactly worth for it. you. Yep. You know, I have to be at work on Monday and I don't work in the bike industry. Yeah. I, I, I need to be able to do my job. Yeah. And, and I need to be able to enjoy life and you know what, pushing yourself to 70% is still a ton of fun. It is doing what we do, you know, for the health benefit and for getting out in the world and in the wilderness and, and everything is great. And I just, I just don't need to push myself on the brink of, or to the brink of hurting myself. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think that I ride it's in my dirt bike days. I feel like I was, you know, pushing it a hundred percent. And yeah. these days I so rarely ride at a hundred percent. I just rarely do yeah. because I, I don't want the consequences. So I fully understand this. Um, she's kind of struggled all year with trying to, you know, find her groove and, and be more comfortable and confident on the bike and being okay with making those type of, or taking those type of risks. And yeah. she isn't, uh, so she retired. Uh, I'm going to miss watching her ride. She's such an incredible rider. She pushed it so hard. Um, she was definitely kind of a, uh, you know, a, an all in type of rider. And I, you know, I can understand uh, yeah. where she's coming from, but she'll definitely be missed. So, um, kudos on an incredible career, man, yeah. on very good stuff. All right. Uh, with that, let's get into the questions. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. All right. Uh, first question is from Rick. He says, did you see that list of top 10 ri ridden riding areas in the U.S. for July on Pinkbike? What gives? Can't be right. That list, he that says. That list. I, yeah, we did see that. Uh, it was interesting. I thought that, uh, so basically it was pointed out, this is a situation where the comments are very good. Uh, engine nerds got into things big time in the bottom. They did. And they sussed out why this list might be a little wonky. First of all, let's go over the list. Yeah. First of all, it is top 10 ridden U.S. biking destinations in July. And they're using Trail Forks data to measure this. Okay. One, Park City, Utah. Okay. But kind of, and remember, this is U.S. Uh, that might make sense. There, There's a lot of riding going on in Park City. True. Draper, Utah. Meh. Yeah. Uh, that's Bellingham. where Other than there a spot Hill. called corner Canyon is in, uh, Draper, Utah. Yeah. It's really not, uh, 
We'll get to why. I think I know why, but okay. it's not very, it's, it's, I don't think, I don't know if that's that part's right. Bellingham, Washington. Okay. That makes sense that Bellingham might have a good amount, you know, just because Bellingham is somewhat of a destination. Yeah. But still uh, a little strange. And Issaquah, Washington. No, I, I, I mean, this is all weird. Yeah, strange, right? Yeah. Hood River, Oregon. Okay, I've ridden my cross bike there. That place is pretty cool. Pretty sweet. I'm going back. Yeah, nice. Lindenville, Vermont, which I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this might be close to the Kingdom Trails. I could be wrong. But anyways, I know Vermont has some good stuff. Phoenix, Arizona. It, they're considering it a pretty large region there when you look at it. Yeah. Uh, Bend, Oregon. I expected Bend to be up there yeah. for sure. There's a lot of riding going on there. And Cedar Mountain, North Carolina. Last one, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I could see Colorado Springs happening. Okay. Okay. So that seems like a strange list. It is. The reason that it's a strange list is because the SQL query was wrong, which I'm sure everyone everyone's going, ah, yes, of Duh. course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically that's uh, SQL is, that's a, a system in which, or, or I should say, yeah, I'll just say a system in which you can store data or, or a way that you can store data. And they were going through and they were actually, the way they pulled that data that they were storing was faulty. The reason for that is because these trail destinations, all of them share one thing, very short trail segments. Okay. So basically they were looking for how many segments were ridden. And if you had a trail network with seven mile long trails, or if like each seven mile long trail is separated into smaller chunks, like one mile long chunks, then that's seven to one. Exactly. Ratio. Okay. So you've got data that's very skewed. Okay. So that's why that happened. Gotcha. That makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Pink bike. Uh, good job. Engineers uh, yeah. for digging into that. Uh, good stuff. Uh, all right. Next question comes to us from, uh, Jonas. I'm going to say it might be Jonas though. Not sure. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. I have two questions for you guys. First off last Friday, I broke my collarbone about halfway down a ride and I'm off the bike until the beginning of October. Bummer. That's the worst. That sucks. Yeah. He says, I'm planning on getting a couple appointments of physical therapy when I get the chance, but I was also wondering if you guys have suggestions on how I can work on bike fitness and not feel like I've lost two months of exercise when I do get back on the bike. Let's cover that one. Yeah. Um, honestly, a bike and a trainer. Mm-hmm. You can totally do it with a collarbone. Didn't Chad do that? And Nate did it. Yeah. Or Nate did. Nate, sorry. Yeah. Our CEO. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, that's a good way to do it. Right? Yeah. Get a trainer. So that way your bike is stable. You don't have to use a lot of your muscles. You'll just be sitting upright instead of leaning on the bars. So your form is going to be a little off, but at least your fitness will be there. That said something that I think and and Nate might disagree and I'm sure Nate's listening to this, but, uh, when your body is working, it needs to recover from that work. Even if it's pretty low intensity stuff, there's mm-hmm. still some recovery involved. And when you're dealing with an injury, the more resources in your body you can dedicate to fully recovering instead of training might be better. And this is why I'm saying that. Let's say that you do just enough spinning to be able to maintain, I don't know, uh, let's say, you know, 70% of the fitness you had, okay. right? Uh, but your in your recovery, you might push it back, you know, three weeks a month or maybe even more because of the fact that you are still doing some training. Yeah. Whereas if you would have dropped off completely, you might've dropped down to 50%, 60% of your training, you know, let's just say your speed being lost, but you would have recovered quicker. So it's kind of a, you, you want to make sure that regardless of what you do, you don't put in too much time. Exactly. So want to yeah. go easy on it. Also, uh, outside of the bike, you can also just stay active to help maintain aerobic fitness. Um, simple stuff like walking, hiking, you know, simple stuff. True. 
Second off, I'm hoping to switch bikes at the end of the year. I live in Alaska with decently rooty rocky trails and lots of 20 plus mile epic rides, but I also go to, to school in LA and ride there. I'm six five. That must be a long commute every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. The Trans Canada Highway. I don't even know if it's paved yet. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah. Especially when you're mushing with yeah. a whole team of dogs. Yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. Well, that's for winter semester. <laughs> True. Yeah. Jonas, sorry for joking around. My sister lives in Alaska. I always give her problems about that. I think it's an amazing it's place. He's allowed to joke so, about it because yeah. his sister lives there. Yeah, Great. of course. Yeah. yeah. Enabled. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I think it's an amazing place. Uh, in all seriousness. Uh, you say I'm 6'5", 205 pounds. I'm currently riding XL Kona Big Hanzo with a raked out 160 millimeter fork. The bike feels a little small and the rear end tends to kick around a lot on techie terrain. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Best wishes, Jonas. I assume what you're saying here is, you know, a different bike, uh, perhaps that you're, you're looking at. So yeah, switching bikes for somebody that's 6'5 and 205 it's tough because you might fit one brand in XL, but you might not fit another. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think, Steven? Um, I'd say stay away from Santa Cruz, uh, because even their XLs run a little bit small. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you're, if you're talking, you know, big bike like that, you honestly, Yeti five, five. I know it sounds um, like we're, Hey, know. I'm not trying to be like pro Yeti. Cause I don't even own one right now. <laughs> um, but the thing, the reason that we both can speak to this is because Nate Pearson, our CEO at trainer road, he's six, six. Yeah. And he's running a, an XL 4.5 and it's the best fitting bike that he has had. He's yeah. So road cross mountain, everything else is the best fitting bike. Yeah. So, I mean, a 4.5 or a 5.5, the thing is, is that your weight and height, you're going to want to overbuild the suspension on that bike. Yeah. So, um, I would say if you're going to do a four or five, you need to build it out with a float X or a, a DPX two instead of an inline. Yeah. Um, but now you have, uh, he was running a 160 mil fork before. Yeah. So five, five. Yeah. So, and then run a, like a DHX two, the yeah. coil shock in the rear, maybe yeah. for or a big guy X two. Yeah. You could probably get away with that. Yeah, totally. He's light enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 205 pounds. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, probably good options there. I don't know of any other brands that have particularly large fitting frames. Yeah. I know that, I know that evil, they run a little bit big too. Okay. So intense. What about Cannondale? Uh, Cannondale runs right in the middle. Like I'm right in the middle of a large at 511. So their XL usually goes to about six, four on most of their bikes. But the new intense does have a fancy paint job. It does. And is it? It's really loud. It's that violet and, uh, and red or like the gnarly oranges, like they got some cool color combos going on. They're one of the few, if you like a loud bike. They do indeed. Uh, next one is from Yeti for the win. That's an original name there. Hey, uh, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Best mountain bike podcast by far makes delivering packages at work. Go by way faster. I work at UPS. Awesome. I was going to say, are you a mailman or a UPS guy? Awesome. What uh, can Brown do for you? It's pretty sweet that we're helping people get through the day. That's all. And also thank you for um, being careful. I bet whenever you see like a bike box or anything like that, I bet you're careful. So yeah. It's good to hear. So cool thing. Just, uh, I'm going to totally go off the the rails here on a tangent that is so, okay ups guys all of their trucks don't have radios in them so what they do is they usually take uh like a piece of like a plywood box yeah and they actually have like a 12 volt wire lead that goes into the dash of the of the <laughs> ups truck yeah, yeah. and then they put their own speakers and their own little car stereo into it and that's how they listen to music so this guy's uh gone the extra mile to listen to our podcast i feel like i've seen a lot of them with headphones unless he's in unless he's doing headphones now that's the only thing which but, you can only use one headphone yep you cannot use two yeah 
Um, you could get like, I, with everything being Bluetooth these days, just carry your phone and then have one of those like JBL speakers or something like that. that exactly. Are loud. Yeah. But that's how they used to do it when I worked at UPS. I'm glad that ago. we've solved the audio in a truck, in a UPS truck problem. Yeah. I feel like we've done something very important here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he says, so about a few miles into my rides, my lower back starts hurting pretty bad. I feel you, Kyle. Your name's Kyle, by the way. Uh, you, I, you tipped yeah, us Yeti off Yeah, for the win. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, and when I hit a steep climb that I have to put out a lot of muscle in, it hurts way worse. This also makes sense. After I clear the climb, it kind of subsides. I've been riding for a little over a year. I know core strength and flexibility helps, but do you have any other tips? Have you experienced this, Steven? Uh, yeah. I noticed that I tend to do this when I have my shoulders rolled forward, mm -hmm. um, especially on climbs, long sustained climbs where I'm, you know, leaning forward in the or bars. steep ones. Or yes, where long climbs, steep climbs, all of that. Forced to be leaning yeah. forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason this is happening is because, so a couple of reasons. First of all, you're shortening things in front and you're also relying too much on your lower back muscles. So multiple things are tied together. First of all, if you look at your muscles that run down the front of your hips, uh, you know, so as hip flexor, everything else, tensor, fascia, lata, all that stuff through there. When you are bent over like that, they are in a loose state. So imagine take a rubber band and have it fully stretched out. When you're bent over at the waist, bring your hands together. And that's what those muscles are like. Yeah. You're then working those muscles in a, in that loose shortened state. So what happens is they effectively shorten over mm -hmm. time. They become more tight. Now your psoas, I believe is tied into the lower, I think it's like three or four vertebrae in your lower back. Those, when they are shortened, they end up pulling on that vertebrae. And then that ends up making your lower back muscles pull back. And there's a weird tug of war going on with your spine Yeah, that causes excessive fatigue on your muscles. It also causes a whole lot of other problems, but that's one reason why that could be happening. So doing exercises like uh, deep lunges with your torso upright and reaching upward. Uh, if you do yoga, something like warrior one or warrior two, something like that. Sun salutations. Yes. I just made things. that up. Is that, that's a thing. I know that's a thing. Yeah. Like a, or upward dog, uh, upward dog. Yeah. yeah that, that would help. That's the one that lo you look like you're howling at the moon. Yes. Yeah. That that's one. The one. Yeah. Um, those sort of things would really help to be able to try to lengthen things in the front. Also using something like, um, any type of a lacrosse ball, tennis ball, uh, baseball is something I use cause they're darn cheap. Right. Uh, lacrosse balls are cheaper. I believe it so. or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On Amazon. Um, it, so you can grab those though. And then, uh, it's very painful and uncomfortable, but you would want to lay down and work around your hip joint and in the front of your hips, down the front of your upper leg and all around in your pelvic region as much as you can to try to loosen everything up or go see a PT that can help loosen those things up. So that'll help. The other thing though, is the fact that you are in, I'm almost positive because it's a problem that I, I suffer. I use too much of my back and I don't use enough of my, my abdomen in terms core. of muscle contraction when yeah. I'm riding. Yeah. So I'm always trying to remind myself to use my core more. It's easy when I'm doing tech, more technical stuff or when I'm sitting up more, but when I'm bent over, it's a lot harder to do it. Yeah. So you're using that. You're basically using that to stabilize yourself, but you're also, so you're using your back more than your core or more than your abdomen to stabilize yourself. But another problem is you're having to put out a lot of power when you're climbing. And especially when it gets steep and difficult, like you mentioned, so you're also probably in a situation where you're using those back muscles to actually pedal. A lot of us, if we have sh everything shortened in the front, it usually pulls things out of alignment. And we all, almost all of us have that because we sit all day and that causes your glutes to get weak. 
mm-hmm. and to be underutilized and we don't fire our glutes right. That's really common for most people. Yeah. And as a result, what you'll get is your back ends up doing a lot of the work that your, not only your core should be doing, but also your glutes. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough thing to get around. The one thing I can say is that making sure that you are, are mobile, like I mentioned with getting, making sure everything is limber up front, but then also making sure that you are doing the type of core work that you need to do. Uh, you can look up plenty of stuff on that, on how to do core work specifically for mountain biking. Um, but also trying to pedal in the right, right spot. Yeah. Occasional cat stretches on the bike work really well. So that's like basically arching your back forward. Um, it's just try to find times to do that. Also think when you're riding, engage your core instead of your back. And then also try sitting up a little more. Uh, we usually use our back more when we lean over. Yeah. So those are the things that I would recommend. And yeah, it's common. I bet a lot of people are going me too when they're listening to this. So yeah. All good stuff. And hey, when you get that lacrosse ball out and you're doing your pelvic and yeah. all that, go ahead and do your IT band. And uh, I know you're going to hate me for this, but yeah. uh, do it. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Feels wonderful. Yeah. It's great. Uh, next one. And we're just going to do this is going to be the last one because we have some other stuff to get into. We're already long on time. So uh, next one is from Al- Axel. Forgive me. Axel says, I'm an 18 ra- 18 year old XC racer from Sweden told you we were big in Sweden. <laughs> we're big in Sweden. Here we <gasps> are. I'm training about five. That should be like a new slogan. We're big in Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> like you haven't heard of our podcast. We're big in Sweden. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says I'm training about 500 hours a year and got fourth on this year's Swedish championship in men's junior. Nice job, man. Way Great work, Axel. Uh, he says, thinking of, I'm thinking about getting a power meter for my Scott Spark RC 900 ultimate. See, this dude's like following Jenny Rizved's roots here. He's got the Scott Spark. It's like, makes sense. Come on, Swedish cycling. This guy's probably going to ride for you someday if he doesn't already. So it's an Eagle equipped bike with boost XP GXP crank set. First, what are your opinions on a power meter for mountain bike advantages and disadvantages? Full advantage, same advantages you get on the road. No disadvantages. None uh, money. That's yeah. It. That's the only, that's the only, yeah, that's the only tough part about it. Yeah. But as far as people saying that a power meter is less, um, effective or less usable or less valuable on, on mountain biking, it's, that's ridiculous. That is not the case. Yeah. So th- that said, it is important to mention the fact that whatever caloric burn is implied or whatever, however many kilojoules you've, you've burned, or I should say expended, I guess, uh, when you are riding your bike, that is measured through the power meter on a road bike or in a TT. That's pretty close to what it is in reality because you aren't doing much else with your body, but on a mountain bike, you're doing a whole lot more. So just know that it's measuring power through the pedals and there's so much more work going on when you're mountain biking and it doesn't measure that. Yeah. All so the smiling you're doing so much smile on a mountain bike. Yes. Truth. Uh, so how to use it best. Uh, so, and then you said, do I think I should get one? Yes, you should get one. How to use it best. Uh, normalized power is a key thing. Just know that it doesn't represent once again, it will be lower than what you have on the road because you have more zero time. Yep. Just because of the nature of descending on a mountain bike, but normalized power is a weighted average of your average power. So the thing that, that, that does or a weighted average of your output, I should say. So, uh, forgive me, the way that that really informs you better is it takes into account the greater caloric toll that a higher output effort requires rather than just use it, treating each, you know, each increasing watt is the same as you increase and have to create more wattage. Each watt becomes more difficult, more costly for your body to make yeah. normalized power takes that into account. 
So use normalized power and then use it for interval training. That's simple. When you do interval training though, don't look at averages, take it second by second, every second. And I would use three seconds smoothing on your data every second, try to match your power target instead of looking at your average. Cause then what you'll do is you'll spend too much time above or below trying to drag your average somewhere. Yeah. Just try to be precise every second. He says, I've looked at the stages, GXP carbon mountain bike crank and the cork XX one Eagle boost crank set. These are the two options I've found. What do you guys think about them? Which one is best other alternatives? Can I answer this one? Yes. I don't think it matters which one is best because they, you're going to be using this to gauge against yourself. Mm -hmm. So really you don't necessarily want like the best, most accurate crank. You want the one that's most consistent. And I think these are both going to be within two, 3% of consistency. So either one will work fine. Just make sure that the stages GXP carbon crank is one. I know it's GXP, so it'll interface properly, but make sure that the Q factor is correct on, you know, being for the boost setup because the Eagle is totally different than your non-Eagle stuff. So yeah. just make sure the stages is updated for boost Eagle stuff and stages. Uh, I use the stages on my ASR. It's fantastic. I use it on my cross bike, uh, which is a crux. Fantastic. Um, the one thing that you might have to watch out for, which stages has done a much better job on their recent power meters. They've made it more low profile, yeah. but frame clearance on your, on your chain stays yeah. because the fact that because the crank arm has a little pod on the outside or on the inside of the crank arm, it could hit. That would be bad. Obviously yeah. <laughs> just tear your power meter right off. Yeah. And for those of you listening at stages right now, one seventy two five hologram SI, I'm going to need one of those in the mail. <laughs> Honestly, I've, uh, I've used my road cork and I've even put my stages crank arm on there. Yeah. I, the, the data between the two nearly spot on. Yeah. Nearly spot on. So uh, the stages is, and, and Quark, I know people consider SRM a gold standard, and, and yes, they are. Uh, Quark is also absolutely very much there. And this is coming from a person that very much is in the power world and has been, and we have countless power meters filling us with, you know, radio waves right now all around us here at Trainer exactly. Road. So uh, we, I know that, that segment really well, and the stages, I think, is just as good. Yeah. Um, and once again, you said the important thing. You're measuring against yourself. So as long as it's consistent, who cares? Yep. Um, but yeah, I could, and the stages is cheaper. It's a great option. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess that covers his, uh, Steven with that, let's cover a bunch of racing news in the business. Holy cow is business time. All right. First of all, Crankworks Whistler is happening. It's really the Crankworks to me. All the other Crankworks are awesome, but it's not. It's just not. It's not Crankworks. It's not Whistler. Crankworks. This is Crankworks. Yeah, this is real Crankworks here. Um, all of them. And if you're from a different region, your event is awesome. Don't get me wrong. It is. Whistler is just a Disneyland of all Disneylands. That if you haven't been there, you can't I, understand it. It's more the Disney World. Yeah, Disney, Disney World. World. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there are a bunch of race. There's a bunch of racing going on. You can go on a pink bike and watch all of it live or archived. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's free to watch, and incredible racing. Uh, the only thing they don't have is XC. I wonder why they should. They actually should have that. But then again, there's no XC racing really, like right there at the mountain at Whistler. Yeah, I mean, they, come on, it, it's Whistler, really. I still think, I still think it'd be good. 
Okay. <laughs> that was you, a you severe, could, severely dangerous eye roll yeah, by Steven you, over there. You can think all you want. Yeah, he nearly dislocated an eye. That was uh, <laughs> So um, anyway, I, I do think it would be cool because XC is getting gnarlier these days and having an XC race at North Star actually be, or at, at Whistler, Whistler would actually be pretty cool. Absolutely. No, I agree. Um, anyways, so they have a bunch of racing. You can check it all out. Also, if you want to do Whistler, they had... Um, it's cool, like a dirt bags approach to doing Whistler, like doing it on the cheap. They okay. had it up on Pink Bike, and yeah. it was a cool thing to see. Two guys, they spent three hundred dollars, and that was a trip for like five days up there. So pretty good. That was all the whole trip, three hundred bucks. So how the the lift tickets ninety bucks a day? I know. Yeah, they live that, cheap. That's two hundred and seventy dollars for three days. I know. But they had some good tips. Uh, well, they didn't ride. They only rode the resort two days. Oh, okay. So okay, well, um, that's half their budget then. <laughs> yes, just half. Uh, but anyways, they had some good tips on where to sleep, where to eat, all that stuff. Gotcha. So it's pretty cool. Cool. With that said, let's go through some of the results. First of all, dual speed and style happened. And I'm going to use this to kind of go over a bunch of different, or let, let's, let's go over these different racing formats. So people that are listening that may not understand it, let's say you're an XC guy, or let's say you're an enduro guy and just don't know, we're going to go over all these formats so you can see them. Uh, so, or know what they are. First of all, uh, dual speed and style happened. Uh, so that one, Adrian Larone won, Thomas Slavic got second, Daryl Brown got third and Utah bro, Mitch Ropolato, kudos to Mitch got fourth. Um, he stepped up his tricks this year to try to not just be fast yeah. uh, cause he's insanely fast, but yeah. he can also throw some sweet tricks. Um, so that was the pro men results. They don't have the pro women's results up here. I, I don't think they have them though. They may not even have a women's event with this one. Maybe it's probably the case. Ah. Yeah. It's a little weird, huh? I know they have the pump track. They do. With the women pump do track, pump track. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little weird. Um, anywho, who knows why, but dual speed and style. Let's cover what that is. Basically. It's like a dual slalom course on steroids mm -hmm. as big jumps. Yeah. And uh, big enough jumps for you to do some massive tricks on. So it's essentially, it's a dual slalom and a slope style mixed together. Yeah. Kind of like it. Yes. If they came together, that's what you would have. And then you are, it's a mix of racing and judging. Yes. So slope styles judged, but then something like dual slalom is all off of speed. It's all about speed. Yeah. So in this case, you are, you have speed down to the bottom and that gives you a, like a, you know, you have your normal time difference, mm -hmm. but then the tricks that you do. You off get of the two to three judged jumps. Kind of like moguls. Yeah. Uh, you get judged on those, on those those jumps or the tricks that you do. Yeah. And if you do good tricks or they get judged highly, it ends up cutting time off of your time. Yeah. So you're able to then get closer. If for example, you're a really fast racer, but you don't have good tricks, you'll just try to pin it down the thing as fast as you can get a big gap on somebody that's going to do big tricks and then hope that your gap is big enough to counter for the deductions that he'll get from his tricks. Yeah. Uh, so you see that a lot, kind of like the polarizing uh, perspectives, but then you also see now, like people are kind of specializing with this. They're insanely fast and they're doing really gnarly tricks too. Yeah. Kind of like Mitch Ropolato and Adrian Larone and all the guys. So yeah. uh, really fun to watch though. It's a really cool event. Um, you have just runs coming down constantly. So it's uh, pretty entertaining to watch. Uh, next one, a Whistler EWS happened. Oh, let's cover this really quick. Okay. It's five stages. Uh, this one started at top of the world and dropped down to Creekside, I believe. So okay. on the west side of Whistler instead of the north side. Yeah. Not to the main lodge, down to the west side. I think that stage one times were like 15 minutes long. Long. Really long. In fact, the fastest time it looks like was 1657. 17 minutes. Oh, yeah. That is a long time to be descending. That's longer than the Garbanzo DH. 
Yes. Race. Yes. Yeah. Really long. And uh, then they ended up actually, I saw that in the transfer, then they, they still have to pedal downhill. They didn't even get down to the village. Yeah. They, they could have gone longer, which mm-hmm. is crazy. But then they pedaled downhill and then they transferred over to the west side of the Whistler Valley, which some people say the reason that trails exist in the Whistler Valley is because they can't exist in the Whistler Bike Park or those type of trails. Okay. So basically inferring that the gnarly stuff is outside of the park, Yeah. which if you've ridden the park, you'll think that that's insane. Yeah. Um, there's gnarly stuff in the park, but there's a lot of really gnarly stuff. And stage two looked like something out of nightmares for most people. Yeah. Absolutely brutal, rough, rough stage. Um, Sam Hill just completely destroyed that day. He did really well. Jesse Melamed ended up winning it. The stage three and four, I should say, they continued on the west side of the Whistler Valley and they went back over to the Creekside area, took the lift up, and then they ended up taking like somewhat similar to a Garbanzo DH in the sense that it, you know, in the directions that it went down. Okay. It worked its way down to the main area at Crankworks. That's where it finished. Okay. Um, Or at Whistler, sorry. So, um, some crazy stuff. Jesse Melamed, he won. This is why that's this is interesting to me. He may win the best overall mountain biker award right now. Okay. I don't know if anybody's better than him in terms of overall. Reason I say that is he was like in contention with the top five guys at BC Bike Race, mm-hmm. which is an XC stage race. Yeah. Only a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. And now he wins EWS Whistler, which he's a hometown uh, boy. It's hometown, so yeah. You people are pointing out the advantage, but that's insane. That's crazy. That That's, is nuts. Yep. I mean, you have Jeff Kabush, Stephen Ettinger, like gnarly guys, like one of the, some of the best cross country racers in North America. And he's just hanging out with them. It's pretty crazy. For BC bike race. Yeah. And then he goes uh, off and wins that. So pretty impressive. Sam Hill got second, uh, still not clipped in. So 14.85 seconds back. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot in a four stage enduro. Yeah. Pretty impressive, man. Yeah. Uh, Mark Scott got third. Um, something interesting that I want to cover with this. Okay. I saw an interview with Richie Rude. Okay. Uh, and he was talking about how he doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah. Pushing anymore. Like at the current, like he, he wants to get back to where he felt comfortable. And he said that like, you know, crashes that he's had this year have made him be more hesitant. Timid. timid yeah. Okay. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, for somebody at that level of the sport. You think you'd dust off and get right back in it. Or you'd lie, you know, because I've had a lot of these guys probably feel that at times and they don't say it. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was bold of him to admit it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was awesome of him to admit it. Um, I also know that he, I'm sure he's the type of dude that's trying to address that sort of thing head on. Yeah. So I don't have any worries about his work ethic or going into that or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was pretty different. Very interesting statement to make. Yeah, totally. It's like seeing like, I don't know, like Lewis Hamilton, like for example, saying like, I just don't feel comfortable driving these speeds anymore. I just don't feel like, I don't feel comfortable with my $30 million a year contract. Yeah. 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 yeah that was, Sorry. You just said, you'd have you to, to go Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. You know? You'd have to have a lot of discomfort for that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Um, or like a, you know, I don't know any football player just saying like, I just don't feel comfortable with the hits anymore. And there's, and there's been a few of them. There's yeah. been a few of them that have been very outwardly spoken when it comes to that. And so I think it's good that Richie's saying it. It's, it's you know, probably people a good are trend. Yeah. Like, I mean, especially with head injuries and all the stuff we're finding out with these. And yeah. I think it's good to recognize when you're doing that and you're just not feeling, you're not feeling it. Totally. It's okay. Absolutely. Um, can we just pause really quick and give some awesome shouts to, to Marco Osborne? He Dude. got 11th. 
Dude. Dude. And by, he's so running the Jekyll on a coil. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that he squeezed out a top 10 or top 10 on, ah, almost got into top his 10. His 11th on stage yeah. three. Yeah. Gosh, man. Close. Um, but he's really, honestly, he's really doubled down on his focus this year and he really is trying to get, I think he's, he kind of, I don't want to say lost his focus a few years ago, but I think he's really doubled down on it and he's, you know, taking that, what Mark Weir has done for him since he was a, a, since he was so young and he's really doubled down on that. And he's like, look, I want to be the best in the world. Yeah. And I think that Marco has it in him. I really do think he does. Yeah. If you look at what he's doing right now compared to last year, he's doing, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It is. He it really be up is. There. He also is, he's a super strong rider. He, he's insane. I, the things that I've watched him do, the things that I followed him down, I, he's, he's stuff he can a, pull off. Yes. And it's strength. And it, part of it also is technique and everything else, but he has the strength to pull off that technique yeah. and those, and also the technique to pull off that stuff when yeah. he's, he's, he's a unique rider. He really is. Yep. I think that he's somebody that has like a lot of, um, I think that with his strength and then with his technique and Mark Weir's guidance, you know, that he's had for so many years, yeah. I think that he has a really stable platform to build up on. Whereas yes. some guys may lack one of those things and they're kind of limited. Yeah. I think he has a lot to build on. So exactly. Uh, kudos, Marco. On the women's side, Cecile Ravenel, she took it again. Um, freaking crazy how fast she is. Serious. Um, Isabeau Cordurier, she got second. Katie Winton got third. Nice job. Yep. Anita Garrett got fourth. Uh, this, this whole season with EWS has been, you know, the Cecile Ravenel show in terms of her like dominating overall, yeah. there have been some people coming in and snagging stage wins. I'm interested to see what happens next year with Katie Winton stepping it up like she did and everybody else. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. There's still one more race with EWS. Um, that'll be coming up and that's going to be uh, uh finale Ligure or Ligura, I think it's called in Italy. That one will be cool to see. Um, but, uh, one last thing, uh, we, I, we should mention is Richie Rude did, I think do pretty well. I don't know if he won. No, he ended stages? up climbing back up to 12th. I think it was yeah, yeah, he, 12th and he won the final stage. Yeah. So a uh, good job on that Richie and got third. It looks like on the fourth stage. So, um, pretty impressive stuff. Anyways, the next event, uh, so Crankworks has a bunch of downhill races. Yes. They have one called Garbanzo Downhill. Yes. Which that's because you go up the Garbanzo Lift. Yeah, you go up past to the top of the Garbanzo Zone, and then you, I've raced this race. I oh, love really? this race. Yeah. Check I actually you. beat New Zealand's national champion that year in DH on Dude, my Jekyll with a lefty. I'm blushing being in your presence right, right now. Thank you. This yeah. is pretty cool. It was fun when he's like, you know, when I come to pass you, you better let me buy. Yeah. I said, okay, that's yeah. fine. I was like 19 seconds faster than him. Check that out. <laughs> so, yeah. boy. Steven's never mentioned this. He's a humble guy. I um, have. I know I've told you. I've bragged about this. On, no, I'm kidding. I no, probably yeah. haven't, but <laughs> yeah. either way. Yeah, he hasn't. Um, yeah. So anyways, the Garbanzo DH is long and, and technical. Yes. It's got some gnarly stuff in it. Yeah. Um, do you, can you remember the trails that it links together? Yeah, I, I would have to look at the map again, um, to just name them all in proper order, but it right. is, um, it's definitely a, a technical bunch of trails. I, yeah. You don't end with a line, right? Uh, no, you do not end with a, in fact, you never touch a line. Right. On that. You take yeah. gnarlier, more technical stuff down yes. the lower portion. Lots of, the of tighter stuff. And Marcelo Gutierrez took it. Yes. 
Uh, he's the Colombian rider, incredibly strong, uh, World Cup downhill racer. Mm-hmm. And this is the cool thing about Crankworks is you get to see enduro guys facing off against World Cup DH guys. Yep. Sam Blankensop got second. He was not, I don't believe he was on a, I don't know if he was on a dual crown enduro or a, a dual crown downhill bike for this one. You know, most of the top guys do because they can pedal a dual crown downhill bike. Yeah. But you get the guys that are faster enduro riders and they might be on a 180, you know, yeah. forked 36. I can't remember if that was the case of Sam Blank and yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jack Moyer, he got third and I know that he was on a downhill bike. Yeah. Eddie Masters, Masters, then Chris Kovarik got fifth. Yeah. Here's the interesting that it thing. And then on the women's side, forgive me. Um, let's cover that first because some of the tech happened on their side and we're going to get into that, but. On the women's side, Tracy Hanna got first mm-hmm. on a prototype bike, a Polygon. Yeah. That looks just like the very unique looking uh, Polygon Enduro bike they have. Yeah. Really similar. Uh, then Claire Bouchard, I believe that's how you say your name. I apologize if I messed that up. Then Emily Siegenthaler, she got third. Miranda Miller got fifth. And Georgia Astley, she got fifth. So he, here's the interesting thing. This race, like you said, it's got a lot of pedally stuff in it still. Yeah. And these riders are going to be facing the downhill riders are going to be facing world champs in Cairns, Australia, or Cairns, as they call it, Australia. I like Cairns. Yeah. Cairns. Yeah. yeah. In Australia, which has some pedally parts I hear. Yes. So these people, these riders and these teams are kind of using this as like a warm up here. Yeah. A lot of them had dropper posts on their downhill bikes. Yes, they did. That was interesting to see. Yeah. And they also had shock lockouts, mm-hmm. which was pretty crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, downhill bikes having shock lockouts and well, dropper posts. There's, there's honestly in just one of the long pedally fire road sections. You're not, it's not actually a fire road. You're basically adjacent to a fire road on a really, it's like a one and a half track um, okay. Jeep road, and you can probably save. Let's just say I passed the guy on a downhill bike who started two riders ahead of me. I caught him in that section and I barely saw him coming out of the corner and I caught him by the end of it. Wow. So there's 20, 30 seconds to make up in that section alone. That's long. If you can pedal. Yeah. Most of the DH guys, like your mid-level guys, aren't pedaling through that. Which it makes sense that Marcelo did really well on that because Marcelo is known for being extremely fit. Yeah. So a really fit rider. Yeah. Um, So that's Garbanzo DH. But then the other downhill race is called the Air DH, and that one is A-Line. Yeah. So really common line. It just goes from the lower lift down to the bottom. It is the park rat trail. It's what all of the all of the videos, if you know the snow blizzard scene um, from Unreal, yep. a bunch of that was done on A-Line. Yep. Yeah. Um, this one is not very technical. There's one spot where it gets tight. That's pretty much it. Yeah. In the trees. Yeah. This is really just wide open, 10 to 12 feet wide. Even wider in spots. It's like a dirt bike trail. It's like 20. Yeah, 20. Oh yeah. There's like, there's like 50 foot wide sections. It's like a massive like boulevard in spots. Uh, Big jumps, uh, big tabletops almost entirely. Lots of rhythm and lots of flow needed in this to keep speed. And lots of pedaling still to be done on this one. Yes. Cody Kelly was doing really well. I thought he was going to win. I was watching the live broadcast for a bit and then I had to jump off. Um, he ended up getting six, so kudos, um, which I, that dude's style is just so awesome. It would have been cool to watch down a line for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Adrian Larone ended up getting first, which is crazy. Cause he's our, he's our pump track guy, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Cause you said flow is needed, right? Yeah. 
Um, and if you can find spots to really, you know, pick up time and these little marginal gain spots all throughout, yeah. I bet you'll, you know, you'll pick up speed. Sam Blankensop got second. Marcelo Gutierrez got third. Magnus Manson fourth. And Kieran McKinnon got fifth. And the women's side, Jill. Well, first, yeah. hold on. Okay. Friend of the podcast, Evan Giancopolis. Yes, that's eighth right. Eighth place. Impressive, right? Very impressive. Actually, I don't know if he ended up eighth. He was eighth for a long time. Oh. I think he ended up finishing probably somewhere around just outside of the top 10. Oh, well, either way. It's friggin' awesome. Still awesome. Good job, Evan. Yeah. Really good. Um, so, and if you, you should look up Evan on his Instagram, by the way, he has some interesting stuff, him and Corey Sullivan, both of those guys. If you watch that, it's just incredible riding. Yeah. So good dudes. Check them out. Uh, pro women, Jill Kintner got first, Tracy Hanna got second, Vea Veerbeek, she, or Veerbeek, forgive me, or Veerbeek. I don't know how to say that. She got third. Uh, Caroline Buchanan got fourth. Makes sense. She's such a ripping BMX racer. And watch for her in the pump track challenge. It'll be coming up. Yeah. And then Emily Siegenthaler got fifth. So with Crankworks, you have all these events. You can go up there for a week. It's going to be the coolest week to spend up there if you're into bike riding at all. Yep. You're going to get to see the best athletes in the world racing all these different disciplines. And even some racing disciplines they're not particularly, they don't usually focus in. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So uh, dual speed and style happened. EWS Whistler happened. Garbanzo DH happened. Air DH happened. Coming up, I think today, this is a Thursday that we're recording this, Pump Track Challenge, then Whip Off Worlds. That might be tonight. I don't know. Yeah. Canadian Open DH. The Canadian Open DH that I believe is from, is that from top of the world? No, that's, no. you're going to be, um, top of, uh, the Fitzsimmon lift into okay. the Garbanzo zone. And you basically run down the Northeast slope God. back into the village and you end right. Um, you basically come across near the pump track area. Well, not right yeah. at the pump track area, but you come down that side and then you end up at the bottom of, um, a line. So which is Canadian open more? Is it like a mix between technical and, and the more flowy, pumpy, jumpy stuff? Honestly, there's not a whole lot of flowy, pumpy, jumpy. It it, it really is a technical five-minute downhill, you know, nice. for the Just fast shorter than shorter. Shorter than Garbanzo. Yeah, Garbanzo is the pedally and ridiculously technical, whereas the Canadian Open, and Canadian Open is the one that has um, Heckler's Rock on it. Yeah, if which you've is known about that, Which is though. gone. Yeah, no more Heckler's Rock. When you fly over, or fly over it, when you go over on the chairlift, it's got fences around it and it's just really sad. It is sad. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so that's actually just really technical, but shorter than, gotcha. and there's a couple high speed sections, especially when you get open into, um, one of the ski runs, you run straight across and you've got a couple, like a, a big giant road gap and then another road gap. I think I know that spot. Um, Does it use Dwayne Johnson, that trail perhaps? I don't remember what it's called, but yeah. yeah. So then the big kind of crowning event, at least traditionally crowning event, slope style. That's yes. the last one. Yeah. Uh, that's the one where the guys do insane tricks from top to bottom. It gets judged. And it was really like one of the biggest things that kind of the explosion in mountain biking that happened in the early 2000s, really. Like mm -hmm. this is one of the, the crowning events really of that. And that's so. really where uh, Crankworks honestly started going nuts was because of slope styles really as well. Is. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Watch for Seminook and Reader and, you know, all the different guys to be doing well there. Yep. Steven, let's close things out with the tips. Tip time. You don't care they're counting on your tips to live? We're going to do something different. We are. Because we aren't going to give two different ones. We're just going to give one. A collective. Yes. IFHT 
Films. You can look that up on YouTube. And Michaela Gatto, she ended. They ended up doing. Uh, they did like a short video piece that was pretty funny. It was a music video. Uh, if anybody has heard of the rap artist Kendrick Lamar and his song Humble, they did basically their own take on this. Yes. And it's called Furda Girls <laughs> instead of Furda Boys. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty funny. Really, I mean, these guys, the guys at IFHT do such incredible, like they're, they're really good with editing. They're good at rolling narrative and storyline and really good footage together. They're really good with that. Yeah. Um, but then Michaela Gatto did a good job of going through this. And, and I feel like she provided like a lot of commentary, some social commentary on the mountain bike world too. Yeah. It wasn't just like a funny video and well done, but also had a message to it. It really did. It, it spoke a lot of, I guess just how disenfranchised the industry is when it comes to women cycling and what women really want. Mm. It seems like they're pandering to the yoga moms that just want a pretty bike that, you know, is supposed to be as nice as her husband's bike. And she's going to ride it 10 times a year. But it's pink. That's the difference. But it's pink and it's got flowers all over it. So it must be and a it's female's not, bike yeah. all of a sudden. And that's, no. that is what has bothered me about women cycling in general. Not mm-hmm. the women themselves, not the cycling themselves, but how the industry approaches marketing to them. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. It's archaic. It's, I, I'm, I don't like it. Yeah. And so this really was kind of some social commentary on frustration with that. Yeah, I um, first of all, uh, she was talking. At, you'll see in the video when you look it up. Uh, once Ferda is Ferda Girls, that's F E R D A Space Girls. Uh, you can look that up on YouTube and you'll find it. Uh, but the thing about this one is, if you watch it, you have to pay attention to the fact that there are a lot of things that she's doing that she's making light of, or she's pointing out that they suck. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that she's doing that she's pointing out. Hey, we can do this too, and we don't need this something. You know, we don't need to be pandered to. Yeah. Like, we're doing things just the same, just as much as anybody else, and it doesn't need to be uh, the whole position of because basically, like marketing in the cycling world for women basically goes take what we've done with the men and slap some pink on it. Yep. And let's treat them with kids yeah. gloves. Let's, let's use the word empowering, but not actually do it. Yeah. So, uh, it was pretty cool. Good to see. And I think good job to IFHT and Michaela Gatto for taking some time to actually, uh, use your talents to, to get a message out there. And some of the other videos for that were actually pretty funny, but awesome. I really, this one by far was, it actually was the best. Yeah, it was out of, out of all of them. Yeah. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Crankworks and put it on your list. Uh, if you haven't already, that should be something that's on your list. At least go up to Whistler. Um, I want to get up to Crankworks uh, at some point. That'd be a lot of fun to be up there during that time. And I will tell you guys this from my experiences, going to ride during Crankworks, yeah. not a big deal at all. It's super busy, yeah. but I still, we still put in over the nine days we were there. I had eight days on the lifts of 10 to 12 hours every single day. Yeah. And it's I a big never, mountain. It's a huge mountain. And even when things are shut down for a race, there's so much other uh, trail to ride oh, yeah. that you are never sitting there waiting for more than 10, 15 minutes in line for a lift. And it goes quickly and you will get plenty of miles on the mountain. Oh, yeah. So if you want to go to Crankworks, but you also want to make a trip to go ride, do it all at once. Yeah, it'd be a good one to do. It's a good time. All right, everybody, uh, you can head over to mtbpodcast.com, submit your questions, share things out with your friends. Uh, please submit the questions uh, so then we can get some more for next week. We didn't get to them all this week, but we're going to try to answer more. So if you've had one that you wanted to get answered, now's a good time uh, for next week. And we'll be back then to talk to you. Thanks all. Have a nice day.
guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.